And it may seem in some respects far-fetched to go through this entire body of Scripture that we're in from Isaiah 40 uh, on through, well, I'm projecting probably 55. Uh, But it has everything to do with God getting His honor upon the church, upon the peoples of Israel, and ultimately the entire world. And the reason I'm paying attention to this particular section, there are many, many scriptures we could go to in this series to show the power of the living God. But this has to do specifically with us and our part in Him using a people at the end to help show the world that He is the living God. So it becomes very, very important to us to understand the flow of what is going on and what is about to occur, so that if we indeed are blessed and accounted worthy in spite of ourselves to be of use to God in showing His glory, we need to know who we are, what we are to do, what our part is, that we might perform the way He wishes us to. So I think this is a very critical Time to be going through these particular scriptures, starting with a voice crying in the wilderness in 40, saying, Comfort you, comfort you, my people. Now, the church has not been comforted yet. The nation has certainly not been comforted yet. We see the church still falling apart, and we see the nation beginning to fall apart. So, why comfort? It is a prophetic message of comfort, both to the church and ultimately to Israel, and then to the whole world, once the kingdom of God is set up. So, while we need chastening, while we need repentance, at the same time, God gives us a message of comfort that when what we are going through is over, then there will be blessing, there will be everything from God of all these promises He has made. So, it says comfort there, and then it says tell the people are like grass and they're going to wither, and that they need to behold their God. Get our eyes, our focus on God Himself. That is why so many things that we might treasure on this earth, and in our lives, and our desires and goals and purposes, need to be sublimated or put in subjection to our overall focus on our Creator God. Because He is about to take a hand, and you'd better be within the loving kindness of that hand, not having it administered to you, but instead for you. And that is why this is important for us. He is calling people to be His witnesses that He is God. And he is going to use the things that he has treasured and hidden, both, I think, physical treasure and spiritual treasures that are buried that are going to come to light and are going to turn the whole gamut of history, of archaeology, of spiritual truth upside down. He says that it will make liars of the wise and turn them backward and make their knowledge foolish. We went through that, and then he shows that he's going to take a Gentile king, or one who is coming in the type of 
that Gentile king. Yet he will lead to his treasures, and they will be used for Jacob for the job that is ahead. That is to show that God is indeed alive, the living God, and the only God. So we went through that in chapter 45, and then uh, the end of it, showing that by the time this process that he is working through his witnesses, his church, his faithful remnant at the end, every, every knee will ultimately bow. So we have opportunity to be in on the ground floor of the beginning of the establishment of the kingdom of God. And indeed, that's what the church is. Because the church, going all the way back to Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so on, those listed in Hebrews 11 as the faithful, the 144,000 <clears throat> have been being selected throughout the ages. And once that is fully assembled, Christ will return, marry his bride, and then come down to set his kingdom on this earth. So, we should be here today in training to be part of that kingdom. And even before the literal worldwide kingdom is set up, he is establishing a kingdom in the church to show who he is. And that is the real end-time calling, is to help prove who God is. As I said last week, He doesn't really need human beings to prove who He is. He is able to shake the earth, and indeed He will shake the earth one more time. But He has chosen, in His wisdom, to call out a people to be like Him, to live by His name and His way, and use them as human instruments to show that he is God. Because the whole world is going to be brought to their knees. And if a people today will come to their knees, they can be used to show the others the way. And an example, before all this horror completely breaks out on the earth, and it's getting very close to happening. So let's get down to chapter 46 and pick up the story here. It says, Bel bows down, or Baal, Nebo stoops their idols, or stoops, their idols were upon the beasts and upon the cattle. Your carriages were heavily laden, they are a burden to the weary beast. They stoop, they bow down together, they could not deliver the burden, but themselves are gone into captivity. He is describing here in Baal, or Bel, and Nebo, some of the major gods of the Babylonians. And he's saying, these gods <laughs> carry their own burden and they will do no good. They can't deliver, they can't save. Now, we in America do not think we worship Baal and Nebo, maybe. But these are only used as a type of those people who use those names. But we have it within the Babylonian system we live under, our own modern cultural and societal icons that we bow down to. And they can't help us. They will not save us in the time of need that is coming. The materialism, the vibrant economy of the past, the great industry of America is gone. Now we are deeply bankrupt and about to be destroyed. 
So all these things that we had, that we worshipped, our so-called democracy, our uh, righteous government, (laughs) and all the things that we've looked to in the capitalistic system are failing before our very eyes. So those things that we looked upon, that we thought set us apart from and raised us above the rest of the world, are now betraying us and falling short and being destroyed. America is different than it was 50 years ago, and it is decaying and about to go away. Okay? That's what this is saying. Now, Jeremiah 50 and 51, among other places, show the destruction of Babylon But within that context, there are many references to Israel, to uh, those who will worship God in Zion. And we find that the same thing is true here. So when you speak of modern Babylon, you also speak of Israel, because we are intertwined with, and we today are captive in our own land, to a Babylonian government, a Babylonian system, and, in that sense, a Babylonian religion. So, he says in verse 3, Hearken to me, O house of Jacob. He's talking about the gods of Babylon, and he says, But hearken to me, Jacob. So, the, this, the, uh, the subject here is Israel, Jacob, not Babylon. Hearken to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, which are born by me from the belly, which are carried from the womb. So, Israel as a whole, and spiritual Israel certainly is the focus today, because it is spiritual Israel that he will use as a light to physical Israel in the world. Uh, And even to your old age, I am he. And even to your whorehairs will I carry you. So, I think Luke 21, 32 comes into play here. This generation shall not pass until these things are done. God started out with a church, a fairly young church, and called many people. And now, this generation that was called into the church will not pass away, not all die out, before these things happen. And he said, I am with you even into your old age. So that's where we are today. Remember the story of Haggai along with Ezra and Nehemiah about old people and old men that would be around who could see the former temple and the latter temple in their lifetime. And the latter temple will far outshine in glory that of the former temple. And the message there to you and me is we must become far more righteous, far more spiritual than we were when we were in Worldwide Church of God. As I've said many times, reproducing that is insufficient because God spewed that out. And if we're only trying to recreate that, we fall far short of the mark. God has set for us a much higher standard today. And you and I had better be a lot different than we were 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. We have to change and grow and repent. But he said, I'll be with you, even as you grow old. I will carry you. 
I have made and I will bear. Even I will carry and will deliver you. The church has not yet been delivered, nor has the nation. So this is still a prophecy. It is a prophecy that is coming on very soon because the generation called is growing old and dying out. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be like? Who are you going to compare to God? They lavish gold out of the bag and weigh silver in the balance and hire a goldsmith and he makes it a god. They fall down, yes, they worship. So he uses gold and silver or wealth and what is America based upon today? Materiality and wealth. And it is that very wealth, our chief god, that is being eroded and destroyed before our very eyes. The almighty United States dollar. Why did they call it the almighty dollar? Very common phrase. It is our chief god. And on it we print, in God we trust, on the almighty dollar. Now there is the first and foremost idol of our society, our economy, our wealth, the American dream of prosperity in a house and a car or five in every garage. They bear him upon the shoulder, they carry him and set him in his place, and he stands. From his place shall he not remove. Yes, one shall cry to him, yet can he not answer, nor save him out of his trouble. Can our dollar, can our gods save us? Those things we worship in this country? Not a chance. Remember this, and show yourselves men. Bring it again to mind, O you transgressors. It's time, he says, to stand up. For God, put aside our idols, those things that we put ahead of God, put Him first in our lives. How can we be a witness that God is God if we still have things between us and Him? Things that we put ahead of Him. Anything you put ahead of God is an idol, and it will be destroyed. If you idolize yourself, you will be destroyed. You cannot put yourself ahead of God. Your desires, your wishes, your hopes, all have to be within the will of God or you are in trouble. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. He says, think back on the things he did. With Israel in the past. And with others. He sent into captivity. He destroyed them when they thought they were pretty smart, pretty successful, pretty important. God just knocked the legs right out from under them. And that is what is happening to us today. So, these are not ancient history stories we're reading. These are things we see happening today. He is the one who declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Well, God says, Take heed, take warning. I am going to do everything I said I will do. Now, you can't stop me. 
I will do all that I desire to do, all my pleasure. When he says, I will destroy you to the church, the church looked pretty impregnable, didn't it? At one point, we were financially strong, we were growing, we thought we were righteous. Boy, did he knock our props out. And the props under this nation are getting very, very, truly shaky. Calling a ravenous bird. Now he's talking to anyone who will not catch the vision, will not realize who the living God really is. So he keeps declaring it here. And when I'm done, he says, you're all going to know. I'll call a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executes my counsel from a far country. Remember how he called Nebuchadnezzar his servant because he used him to take Israel captive. He used a Gentile king, Cyrus, as his servant. And he is called an end-time Cyrus to again help the church build his temple and to build Jerusalem back. <coughs> but he's calling a ravenous bird. What does a ravenous bird do? It eats flesh. I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it, I will also do it. <coughs> Hearken to me, you stout-hearted that are far from righteousness. You draw yourself up and say, I'm stout-hearted, I'm strong, I can handle it. But if you're, not, if you're far from righteousness, it's not going to work out too well. I bring near my righteousness. It shall not be far off, and my salvation shall not tarry. And I will place salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. You think it's any coincidence that God began to show us where the true Zion was and is? And that that is whence his message is going to go out? Now the conditions he described here are right before us. He continues in chapter 47. He's not addressing Israel here specifically. He's addressing the Babylonian system that we are under. But he does mention the church again in this same context. So the fate of Babylon carries with it the fate of Israel. We are ruled over by a Babylonian system and we have accepted it and been burdened by it and we are slaves to it. If you don't think you're a slave to the system in this country, try departing from it. See how easy it is. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground. There is no throne. I'm going to remove all your trappings, your government, your throne, the things that you set yourself up on. He says, sit on the ground. That's all there is for you. O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no more be called tender and delicate. Take your millstones and grind meal. In other words, get back to work. We've had a fat, easy, sassy, government, socialistic, fueled society where everyone had plenty and didn't have to work too hard. That's changing. You're going to have to grind meal to even have anything to eat. 
the grocery stores and all the garbage that is in them will disappear. Take the millstones and grind meal. Uncover your locks. Make bare the leg. Uncover the thigh. Pass over the rivers. Total nakedness, in other words, of this woman. Your nakedness shall be uncovered. Yes, your shame shall be seen. We've dressed ourselves up as the leading nation on earth, the great American empire, the leader of the so-called Western world. He says, I'm going to strip all that away, and you're going to stand naked and ashamed. I will take vengeance, and I will not meet you as a man. I won't look upon you as a woman that I could love, that I could want or cherish. I'm going to come to you as God. I'm going to scare you. I'm going to uncover you. I'm going to make you ashamed. As for our Redeemer, the Eternal of hosts is His name, the Holy One of Israel. So even as he begins to address Babylon, he brings Israel into the picture. You cannot separate the Israel of our nation from the Babylonian system that rules over it. We are here, subject to it, and we are not free. And the freedoms we thought we had are eroding day by day and being taken away very quickly now. But we need to look to God, our Redeemer. That's our only hope in this mess that is our people today. Sit you silent and get you into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans. It's time to just shut up and go hide in the darkness because of what's coming for this nation, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For you shall no more be called the Lady of Kingdoms. That has been our status in the world, has it not? The leading nation the only remaining superpower. You're not going to be called this anymore. I was angry with my people. I have polluted my inheritance and given them into your hand. Now, he said he was angry with the church. He spewed it out of his mouth. He scattered it. So he was angry with his people here in this end time. I've given them into your hand. Didn't the church... The main body of it, go right back into evangelic Protestantism. And the rest were scattered, many lost, dying spiritually of the famine, pestilence, and sword. That's what God did with us. You did show them no mercy. Upon the ancient have you very heavily laid your yoke. Now he's going to tell us in chapter 52 to break that yoke. To quit laying down and being walked on. But that's getting a little ahead of the story. But he introduces the thought right here is the reason I mention it. And you said, I shall be a lady forever. You know, even those on the internet who have websites showing how America is declining and how the dollar is going away and how gold is going to be our savior and all this stuff. Say, buy gold, buy silver, because the society is going to come apart. But ten years from now, you're going to be the ones that have the wealth, and you're going to be the ones that are rich. They just do not grasp that the anger of God is coming on this nation, and there is not going to be a recovery. It's over. We're going into captivity. 
And all the gold and silver you might save isn't going to do you a bit of good. Because when you are rammed through with a sword or shot or taken into captivity, anything you have is going to be taken away. Now, true, gold and silver are going up as the dollar goes down, and it might preserve wealth for a short time. But there's a time in the not-too-near-distant future when they will throw the gold and the silver, not just the fiat dollar, in the street. Because it will be worthless. Now, it'll be worth something to the New World Order, and they'll gather it up, perhaps. (coughs) But when God takes a hand against them, it won't do them any good either. Because without the true silver and gold of righteousness of the eternal living God, every man will die. So repentance will be necessary. I'll be a lady forever. So even those who bear the worst message of our bankruptcy don't understand what's really coming down. They see it only in the short term, five, ten years, and then... We'll have a recovery because we'll get our constitutional republic back. (coughs) We'll get rid of these crooks and banksters and so on. And we'll recover and survive and do wonderfully. No, we won't. Because of our sins, we're going to be taken into captivity. But you said, I'll be a lady forever, so that you did not lay these things to your heart. Neither did you remember the latter end of it. Therefore, because of this attitude you have, hear now this, you that are given to pleasures, that dwell carelessly, you think everything's going to be hunky-dory, be just fine, we'll recover, but say in your heart, I am and none else beside me. Who could that more aptly fit than this nation today? I am and there's none beside me. I am the superpower. I can hammer any nation I want. I'm the hammer of the whole earth. Jeremiah 50 and 51. That can apply to no one today but us. We hammer on anybody we want to, wherever we want to. I shall not sit as a widow, neither shall I know the loss of children. I'm here. I'm fine. Don't worry about me. I'll recover. The American spirit will come through. Okay. But these two things shall come to you in a moment in one day, the loss of children and widowhood. They shall come upon you in their perfection for the multitude of your sorceries and for the great abundance of your enchantments. We worship the God of this world in our nation today. We do his bidding in everything in our society our entertainment, our movies, our music, our games, our morality. For you have trusted in your wickedness. You have said, none sees me. America's great. We're a Christian nation. Of course, we're getting away from that, even saying it anymore, because it's not even true in terms of lip service, much less real obedience to God. Your wisdom and your knowledge, it has perverted you. And you have said in your heart, I am and none else beside me. There is nothing like America and the American dream. 
Well, Jeremiah 50, 51 right in there says that people are going to start going back to where they came from because the American dream has turned into an American nightmare. I heard somebody the other day said that for every Mexican coming across the border, now there's three going home. They've had it here. (laughs) And I know several that have gone back and are going back. For you've trusted in your wicked... Oh, let's see, I read that. Verse 11. Therefore shall evil come upon you, you shall not know from whence it rises. And mischief shall fall upon you, you shall not be able to put it off. And desolation shall come upon you suddenly, which you shall not know. Read Revelation 18. About the great merchant nation. And how they'll cry and weep and wail when we are destroyed because... That which made them rich will be gone. And we have made the nations rich. We made Taiwan, Japan, China now rich because of our marketplace. They're not going to like it when we go down. We're not going to see it coming. We've read recently in sermons who's going to do it led by the Assyrian, but the Islamic world will be involved. The, uh, well, read Psalm 83. We've been through there. I don't have time to go back through that today. But God identified in His Scriptures long ago who would be behind this when it happens. But the nation itself is not going to know. They're not going to be awake or aware where it hits or where it comes from. And it's going to hit suddenly. There is a coalition against America being formed right now, today, as we are here. We don't see it, but it's coming. Stand now with your enchantments and with the multitude of your sorceries, wherein you have belabored from your youth. If so be, (coughs) you shall be able to profit. If so be, you may prevail. Is the great American spirit... You going to save us this time? It's what all our movies say. It's what all of our novels say. They're all about all the trouble that's coming. and all. The, but some American hero always saves us just in the nick of time. Have you noticed that? That's the theme of everything. Whether they're aliens from outer space or whatever, some American superhero steps in and saves our bacon. Not going to happen. You are wearied in the multitude of your counsels. Let now the astrologers, the stargazers, the monthly prognosticators stand up and save you from these things that shall come upon you. Let all your talking heads on TV tell you all the things that are going to happen that are going to save this nation. Behold, they shall be as stubble. The fire shall burn them. They shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. There shall not be a coal to warm at, nor fire to sit before it. Is our fuel, is our energy going to go away? The ability to keep ourselves warm and dry and comfortable? Sounds like it. Never Have you noticed lately the price of fuel, the price of heating a house? Probably have, haven't you? Pretty soon, people cannot afford to do that. Thus shall I be to you with whom you have labored, even your merchants from your youth. They shall wander everyone to his quarter. None shall save you. Walmart will not save us. Our target 
or anybody else. We've had it. And isn't it our merchant system? Isn't it our economic strength that we see eroding before our very eyes? These prophecies are very real, aren't they? Okay, let's go to chapter 48. Hear you this, O house of Jacob. So now he addresses not Babylon and Israel within it, but he addresses Jacob. And remember that we are spiritual Jacob and spiritual Israel, the church today. Paul referred to us that way in Hebrews and in Galatians and many other places is the spiritual Jew mentioned, not the physical Jew. Hear this, O church then, which are called by the name of Israel. Yes, this will apply physically to the nation, but it applies first to you and me. We're the first to hear the message. We're the first to see. We're the first to be able to repent. And to come forth out of the waters of Judah, (coughs) the truth... The living waters of Christ were given to us. So we've come out of those waters, which swear by the name of the Eternal and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth nor in righteousness. The church gave lip service to God, but we did not worship Him with our whole hearts. He didn't like that. He wants to be loved unconditionally with the whole heart. For they call themselves of the holy city, and stay themselves upon the God of Israel. The Eternal of hosts is his name. We understand who the true God is, the Lord of hosts. But it has to be in truth and in righteousness, or it means nothing. I have declared the former things from the beginning, and they went forth out of my mouth, and I showed them. I did them suddenly, and they came to pass. Didn't it happen very quickly at the Red Sea and at the Jordan? And many, many other things we could recount that God has done. I have declared, let's see, uh, verse 4, Because I knew that you were obstinate, and your neck is an iron sinew, and your brow brass. Just let any one of us take the bit in our teeth and decide our course and what we want. And we're going to have it no matter what. And see if the stubborn, stiff-necked, obstinate spirit of Israel does not come alive immediately. I have even from the beginning declared it you, or to you. Before it came to pass, I showed it you. All these things we're reading about, God wrote Thousands of years ago. And I can read it to us today, and it's like I'm reading a current news article, isn't it? Isn't this so very plainly talking about what is going on right now? It's not moldy and dusty. God declared it a long time ago, and now here it is, right in front of us. Lest you should say, my idol has done them, and my graven image, and my molten image has commanded them. Lest we think that we, the American people, have set ourselves as the leaders of the world, and we're going to remain there. No, God's told us what's going to happen a long time ago. 
and it's coming to pass. Verse 6, you have heard, see all this, and will not you declare it? I have showed you the new things from this time, or showed you new things from this time, even hidden things, and you did not know them. We as a church over the last decades did not understand what you and I understand today. We didn't get it at all. We just thought the Germans were coming and would jump plane to Petra and everything would be hunky-dory. We didn't understand all this at all. Didn't grasp how it was a message to the church and ultimately the nation. If we understood it at all, it was only in the light of the nation. Except for a few exceptions. We saw that Ezekiel 34 and Jeremiah 23 and some of the, in Malachi 1, <clears throat> those message against the ministry, we understood, especially once the church began to come apart, that that was talking about the church. Well, if that was, why weren't the chapters before and after it also? Does he just talk about the nation and then interpolate a chapter or two about the church here and there? Or does this whole thing fit us? You didn't know about these things. Some of them are created now, and not from the beginning, even before the day when you heard them not, lest you should say, Behold, I knew them. God is going to throw a few curves. He's going to throw a few tricks in the trail that we may not have suspected. And maybe they're hidden in this story and nobody has understood them. But some of it will be, I think, brand new. And it wasn't written anywhere. So you can't say, well, I knew that. No, no, you didn't. <laughs> it was just created on the spot. At least, seemingly, though God may have planned it long ago. Yes, you heard not. Yes, you knew not. Yes, from that time, your ear was not opened. For I knew that you would deal very treacherously and were called a transgressor from the womb. <clears throat> God knew how obstinate and stubborn and rebellious and selfish we would be. Well ahead of time. For my name's sake will I defer my anger, and for my praise will I refrain for you, that I cut you not off. Now, he pretty well cut mankind off in Noah's day, except for eight. And almost scrapped the whole deal right then. But he said, oh, I'm going to carry it through. And he's made all these promises about how Israel would be punished, the church would be punished and scattered, and how a remnant would repent and would finish his work and be witnesses for him. So, he is going to see that through. He is going to make it happen, just as he said. For his name's sake, he's not going to let these prophecies fail. That's a mistranslation when it says prophecies will fail. No, prophecies will be fulfilled. God says right here they will not fail. They will happen. Behold, I refined you, but not for silver. I have chosen you in the furnace of affliction. Aren't we going through affliction, trial, trouble, tribulation, and difficulty? Aren't we growing weary of it? 
Aren't we beginning to think in our own minds once in a while, well, this thing is taking so long. We thought when we came out here, all these things would happen immediately. You know, I thought maybe they'd happen quicker too. When it began to become obvious to me in 1994, 5, and 6, I thought they were just around the corner. And here we are 15 years later, 16 years later, whatever it is, and, or 17, depending on when you start counting. And it hasn't all come to pass yet, has it? Well, I started first understanding these things in 1994. You didn't start understanding them until after 2000 sometime. So I've been waiting longer than you, nanny, nanny, nanny. I still believe it. Where is faith and where is patience that God is going to perform His Word? Yes, we can get tired. Yes, we can become impatient. Yes, we have needs and wants and lacks in our lives. And we have trials, troubles, health problems and tribulations. What are those for? They're to refine us in the furnace of affliction. They're there to teach us love and patience and trust in God. And without these things, we would never grow. It is trouble that brings us to repentance. It is trouble that turns us to God. And when we turn to God, he says, then we will find him, and then he will bless us. So it's on our heads, brethren. If we give up on God... And on God's promises, because it didn't happen when we thought it should, then we are in deep trouble. He just tells us what shall be. The timing is up to Him. Let's get that through our heads and into our emotions and internalize it. This is God's plan. This is His purpose. And the sooner we repent of everything that is ungodly, the sooner He will turn His face and shine upon us and forgive our sins. Now, I've been praying quite a bit lately about us, about me in particular, because if God is expecting perfection before this happens, it'll never happen. When I look at me, and I look at you, and we all look at ourselves, we have a long, long way to go to bring every thought into the captivity of Christ and to walk and put our feet exactly where He placed His. And I know and I do believe that somewhere in there, if our attitudes and our heart are right, He is going to cover our sins in the blood of our Savior and wipe them away as a cloud and bring His righteousness, not ours, which is a pile of filthy rags. But we have to do our part. We must grow and overcome. And if we are doing that, we're not going to be perfect before we die. Nobody in Hebrews 11 was. It becomes difficult for me to keep myself motivated, to keep myself pushed, to keep growing, to keep trying to change me. And it becomes very heavy and burdensome to try to figure out ways of how to inspire, to encourage, 
to chasten, to yell at, to plead with, to lead, to drive you to continue and not give up and press on toward the mark of the high calling of our Lord. It is not an easy task because we, as human beings, will fail on our own. And we must go to God. But He's put us in this furnace of affliction to teach us, to renew us, to bring us to repentance and to make our hearts full and vibrant and alive again. I'll have to admit, I wasn't in Worldwide. I had gotten slack and lackadaisical, and I had let things encroach in my life that never should have been there, as we all did. Now it's time to change all that. So let's not give up. Let's press on. And when God chastens us, Let's not let the hands droop and the lame leg fail us, as Hebrews tells us. But let's let that which is lame be healed and press on toward the mark of the high calling. Verse 11, I put you in the furnace of affliction, he said, for my own sake, even for my own sake will I do it. For how should my name be polluted? And I will not give my glory to another. He is going to show His glory. And He is going to use us, like it or not, some of us, to show His glory. So He's got to whip us into shape in order for His glory to be seen through us. That's why He says in Malachi, Quit offering me the lame and the sick. Bring me the best of the flock. That's what I desire. Sick, half-awake prayers. Sick, half-awake service. We pollute His name when we bring Him anything than than the very best. He's not going to stand for it. He's not standing for it. If you think He is, look at the church. (laughs) And what he's done to it. Hearken to me, O Jacob, and Israel, my called. Now, we have been called directly. So he's talking to us. Now, he's going to call, he's going to call physical Israel later on in the millennium. But this is all premillennium. This is talking about the destruction of Babylon. We're talking about the, end, the beginning of the end times here. So we are the only ones who right now fit within the term, my called, called out ones. Hasn't he been telling us, and won't he tell us here in a few verses, to come out from her? I'm calling you out of her. We'll read it here in a few minutes. You're my called. I am he. I am the first. I also am the last. My hand also has laid the foundations of the earth, and my right hand has spanned the heavens. When I call to them, they stand up together. How often in this whole context does he keep bringing us back to the reality that a living Creator God is in charge, and he will not be denied? He will not be denied. He will 
gain his honor? Where is his honor? If there's any place on this earth that true honor to the true God can be found, it is from his called out ones. And if we are bringing him our lame and sick service and prayer, then there is no one. Let's answer the call. If we're called, answer the call. Now, he's calling out here. He's telling us what we need to be. He's declaring who he is. Verse 14, All you, assemble yourselves and hear. Which among them has declared these things? How much have we heard these things preached throughout the church? Pretty rare. Pretty rare. The Eternal has loved him. He will do his pleasure on Babylon, and his arm shall be on the Chaldeans. This nation is going to fall. I believe Washington, D.C., the seat of Babylon, is going to be desolate forevermore. When God restores his kingdom to this earth, he is going to leave that area desolate. That's what the prophecies about Babylon say. The land of Israel will not. It will be cleansed. But maybe it will be an everlasting memorial that the corrupt, democratic, capitalistic, and we might add fascist and socialistic and communistic government in Washington, D.C. is going to be destroyed and the ways of Satan will never again come forth. This is what God says about it. Let's see, where was I here? He's going to destroy the Babylonians and Chaldeans. Verse 15, I, even I, have spoken. Yes, I have called him, I have brought him, and he shall make his way prosperous. Come you near to me, hear you this. Listen, he says. Wake up, listen. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, there am I. Right from Genesis 1 on, and this recreation. And now the eternal God and His Spirit has sent me. So, Isaiah is saying, God was always there, and now He sent me to tell you these things. And he, re- he recorded what Isaiah said, so that we might read it today, upon whom the ends of the world have come. Thus says the Eternal, <clears throat> your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Eternal, your God, which teaches you to profit, which leads you by the way that you should go. If you want to have a successful, meaningful life, do it God's way. He's the one who has the way that will make us happy. Isn't that really what all human beings are about? They want to be happy, they want to be prosperous, they want to be secure. They want to have their hopes, their dreams fulfilled. They want happy marriages, happy children and families. Is that what we have today? We have divorces, we have abortions, we have horribly uncontrolled, disrespectful little children that yell and scream and cry and want their way in the supermarkets. Drives you nuts to watch it. 
This is not a happy country today. Young people are committing suicide left and right with drugs and guns and so on and so forth. This selfish, self-centered, electronic age where we just make ourselves happy is failing us. People have no purpose, no goal, no reason to exist other than to entertain the self. And that makes for unhappiness. That which is wrapped up in self makes a pretty small package. We must have a bigger goal and purpose in life. Verse 17, thus says the Eternal, your Redeemer, to whom is God Redeemer today? Only those who He has begun to redeem from the earth, those who have been called to His truth. The rest of the world is not yet being redeemed. The Holy One of Israel, I am the Eternal, your God, which teaches you to profit, which leads you by the way that you should go. We just read that. Oh, that you had hearkened to my commandments. Then had your peace been as a river, and your righteousness as the waves of the sea. Even this nation which calls itself Christian, or that part which calls itself Christian, has done away with what? The commandments. The commandments are done away. You don't have to keep them. The commandments are what lead to profit, happiness, and the things that human beings want. It is only when you obey all His commandments that you become a truly productive, happy person. Selfishness leads to discontent and frustration because you can't have all those things that the self wants, can you? The eye is never filled with seeing or the ear with hearing or the hand with touching. We are never satisfied. And the more we serve self, the less, dis the less contented we become because serving self leads to more selfishness and frustration. The commandments of God are love God and love your neighbor, not yourself. Or not to love yourself more than you do your neighbor. A way of living God's way leads away from self and to service and giving and loving others. And then comes true happiness. If you'd have kept my commandments, your peace would have been as a river and your righteousness as the waves of the sea, never ending, just rolling in, rolling in. Your seed also had been as the sand and the offspring of your bowels like the gravel thereof. His name should not have been cut off nor destroyed from before me. And he's saying these things in preparation for destroying this country and the rest of Israel. So then he says, verse 20, Go you forth of Babylon. Flee you from the Chaldeans. With a voice of singing, declare you, tell this. Utter it even to the end of the earth. Say you, the Eternal has redeemed his servant Jacob. So, can we say this yet? Can we sing to the ends of the earth that God has saved his church? That he has redeemed and blessed his people? No, we can't. We still need a lot of healing, we need a lot of helping, we need a lot of things, protection from what is coming. Now those things are coming, and we can utter it as a prophecy, we can read these things ahead of time, and say it shall be, and then we'd better believe it, 
Will he find faith when he comes back to this earth? It's going to be a very rare commodity. And brethren, you and I are the primary candidates to be those living in faith. Because we hear and we understand. But it's not going to be found anywhere else except in his called out ones. So this is talking to you and me and others who have been called out, who need to hear the message. <clears throat> so he tells us, depart from this system. Get out away from them. And say that God is redeemed. He is about to redeem his serpent Jacob. His serpent, his servant Jacob. And they thirsted not when he had led them through the deserts. He caused the waters to flow out of the rock for them. He claved the rock also, and the waters gushed out. He did it that way in the past, and Isaiah 41 told us he's going to do it again in the wilderness. Read Isaiah 35, about how it will blossom and bloom and grow, and the lame will be healed, and the blind will see, and the deaf will hear. And all those things that we always thought were just millennial are going to happen to God's people here at the end time. There is no peace, says the Eternal, to the wicked. But there is peace to those who will keep his commandments, and their righteousness will begin to flow. All right, let's hit the 49 here. I'm moving along better today in some respects in terms of ground we cover than sometimes. But I want to get this overview of, of what God is doing and how he's doing it and how it's going to achieve his honor and glory and what our part is in it and what his instruction and warning and, and uh, desire for us is. And then maybe we can respond to these words. So he says, listen, O coasts, to me, you people of the coasts of Israel, you people from far, the Eternal has called me from the womb, from the bowels of my mother has he made mention of my name. Now this is... Uh, Israel speaking. You'll see down in verse 3 that that is the case. This, is, this is, a, is a metaphor of the voice of Israel. He says, You called me from the beginning, from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand has he hid me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver has he hid me. Will we be the piercing arrows of God? Is spiritual Israel. Physical Israel is not going to proclaim the truth. They're not going to be the sharp arrows in the quiver of God. He said he's going to make us a new, clean, threshing instrument with teeth in Isaiah 41 and Micah 4. He's going to make us sharp arrows. Our mouth like a sharp sword. He's talking to the church here, to the end time witness that he is God. And he said to me, You are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Is, is, is physical Israel going to glorify God here in the end time? No. Only the church will be given the mouth to proclaim these things. Physical Israel will repent later, but they'll have Christ and the bride to show the way. Then, they won't need to be sharp arrows God needs sharp arrows today to penetrate the idolatry that inhabits the earth and this nation. 
Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my judgment is with the Eternal and my work with my God. So he says, I'm preparing you, I'm sharpening you to be my witness, to give my sharp words here at the end. But then you say, I've labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing. Are we beginning to have some of these attitudes and thoughts? This thing isn't happening. It should have happened sooner. What's the delay? Why do I sit here still in trouble? Why are not we not delivered? Do some of these thoughts come to our minds and we have to fight them from time to time? I do. I suspect you do too. It's hard to wait for God. Yet surely my judgment is with the eternal and my work with my God. So even though we may have frustrations, doubts, and fears at times, we understand that it is all with God, and He is our God, and we will wait. And the work He wants done is the work that we will do. And now, says the eternal, it formed me from the womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob again to him. Though Israel be not gathered... Yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Eternal, and my God shall be my strength. So we're sitting in that time expecting the remnant of Israel, or remnant of spiritual Israel, to be gathered. And it seems like a long wait and a hard time. But God will be our strength. And he's writing this in the context of the fall of Babylon and the end-time trials of the church. And he says that we are not yet gathered. So this is a prophecy just prior to the fall of this nation. And we're not the only ones saying it's going to fall now. You saw it on the internet, the collapse of our economy and the collapse of this nation is coming. And now you're beginning to see it with even the talking heads on the mainstream media. They're beginning to recognize the cracks and say something about it in some cases. It's being proclaimed. It's not being done in a corner anymore. It's not just some preacher reading Isaiah. People in the world are beginning to see it. They know we've had it. They say, we're so many trillions of dollars in, a debt, in debt, there is no way out of this for this country. It will collapse. And a lot of them are saying by the end of this year, or next year, 2012, if they believe that stuff about the Mayan calendar. It's coming soon, and God will be our strength. Yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Eternal, and my God shall be my strength. So, it looks hopeless in some ways, but let's look to God our strength. And he said, It is a light thing that you should be my servant to raise, or is it, it should say, uh, that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel? Is this said lightly? No. God is afflicting us, putting us through trial, trouble, and tribulation. He is causing us to have to wait in patience and faith. It's not a light thing to be the witnesses for God, that He is God. I will also give you for a light to the Gentiles, that you may be my salvation to the end of the earth. 
He will give us salvation and will be a light not only to Israel but to the Gentiles as well. This is a worldwide work that is about to be done by the church. Thus says the Eternal, the Redeemer of Israel and of His Holy One and His Holy One, to Him whom man despises, to Him whom the nation abhors, to a servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise. Princes also shall worship because of the Eternal that is faithful and the Holy One of Israel, and He shall choose you. Isn't He calling us to be kings and priests and rulers? Isn't He training us now? Man despises God. So why does God say, where is my honor? When man despises God, there got to be a few people somewhere who are going to give him his honor that is due him. And we're elected to do that. This is for you and me to do. Who else is going to do it? Anybody got an answer for that? Who else? If not us, who? Us? If we're faithful in the faithful remnant that he is going to call. Who else is going to keep his commandments, verse 18? Except his church. Everybody else says the commandments are done away with. This is a very limited message here to commandment keepers. He shall choose you. Verse 8, Thus says the Eternal, In an acceptable time have I heard you, and in a day of salvation have I helped you. There's salvation coming later for people in the millennium, great white throne judgment. But he's called us right now in a very limited time and age, a day of salvation for us. Now is judgment on us, Paul tells us. In a day of salvation have I helped you, and I will preserve you and give you for a covenant of the people to establish the earth, to cause to inherit the desolate heritages. Who's going to establish the earth? Christ and his bride. Where is his bride today? She is being called and prepared. She is going to begin to do a small work of mothering to the world, as an example to the world of what a mother and her children should be. That you may say to the prisoners, go forth, to them that are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed in the ways, and their pastures shall be in all high places. God is calling out an end-time work that will allow the church people to come out of hiding. That will allow them to gather and be a light to the world. Not hiding in darkness for fear of persecution and trouble and all those things. Who will stand? You see, if we seek to save our lives and hide ourselves from what's coming, God says we'll go into the tribulation and we will die there after hopefully having repented of that attitude. And the ones that He will preserve are those who are willing to throw their physical life to the wind to stand up for God. And those are the ones that He's going to save, ironically. The only way to save your hide is not to go hide in the rock somewhere, but to stand up for Almighty God and trust Him to save you. We 
are called upon to stand and break the yoke of Babylon off our neck, depart from its system and culture, and stand for the living God. That's a challenge for you and me. Verse 10, they shall not hunger nor thirst, neither shall the heat nor the sun smite them. Doesn't he say he'll be a wall of fire around us and a covert from the heat? And that's talking about in the time of the two witnesses in the building of the temple in Zechariah 2. It's not the kingdom of God on the earth in the millennium. For he that has mercy on them shall lead them, even by the springs of water shall he guide them. They can be literal and they can be figurative. Springs of living truth and springs of living physical water. And I will make all my mountains away, and my highways shall be exalted. The path to God is going to be exalted. God is going to make a way for his people to come to his mountains. Behold, these shall come from far, and lo, these from the north, from the west, these from the land of Sinem. Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains. For the Eternal has comforted his people and will have mercy upon his afflicted. Didn't this whole section start with the words, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Isaiah 40, verse 1. And he brings it back into the theme and the context of this. So even though he says, Comfort you, comfort you, is part of the message, it is yet today a prophecy. But these are comforting words, are they not? Of what God is going to do for us. Do you believe he's going to do it, or have you given up? Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains. For the Eternal has comforted his people and will have mercy upon his afflicted. But Zion said, now God says, here's what I'm going to do for you. But they said, we said, the Eternal has forsaken me and my Lord has forgotten me. Where are you, God? When are you going to do these things? You said you would, now why are you taking so long? Could be our attitude. Then God reasons with us here. Verse 15. Can a woman forget her sucking child? That she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? When her child cries, will she not gather it to her breast and suckle it? That's so natural, so mothering. That's what women do. They don't just say, Ah, shut up, you little brat, I'm not going to feed you. No. Yes, they may forget, yet will I not forget you. Women will forget to nurse their child before God will forget us. That's his promise to us. Behold, I have graven you upon the palms of my hand. He's written us there. Your walls are continually before me. He doesn't take his face away from us, our walls, our homes, our lives. Your children shall make haste. Your destroyers and they that made you waste shall go forth from you. So the Babylonians and our system, our society, our culture that we have lived in is going to be taken away and go forth far from us. He tells us to give up 
Give it up. Get away from it. It's going away. It's going to be destroyed. Everything that is America today is going to be destroyed. It is anti-godly. Verse 18, lift up your eyes round about and behold. Quit, quit looking down. Look up. Look around. Behold what is going on. All these gather themselves together and come to you. God is going to have a gathering of his righteous people. As I live, says the Eternal, you shall surely clothe you with them <clears throat> as with an ornament and bind them on you as a bride does. These people that come when they hear the truth and they hear of God's intervention, we're to accept them and put them on like a bride does her dress. Boy, are they careful putting that on. Everything has to be just right, doesn't it, to walk down that aisle. For your waste and your desolate places and the land of your destruction shall even now be too narrow by reason of the inhabitants. God is going to start bringing people in. And they that swallowed you up shall be far away. They're going to go into captivity. The children which you have, or shall have, after you have lost the other. The church has lost its children. Fallen by the wayside, quit, spiritually dead, famine and pestilence of the word. It's gone. The children are disappearing. After you've lost the other, shall say again in your ears, The place is too straight for me. Give place to me that I may dwell. Conditions are going to be bad for church people scattered around the world. And God is going to bless one particular spot around Zion and the true Jerusalem. And His faithful are going to come there. Please, let me come dwell with you. And we're to take them in open arms and put them on as a bride does her dress. Then shall you, shall you say in your heart, who has begotten me these, seeing I have lost my children and am desolate, a captive, and removing to and fro? Church is just kind of wandering about, confused. People are wandering from group to group to group, trying to find spiritual food and can't find it. It's not something you go out and do. Doesn't Haggai say, I will stir them to come and work in the temple? At a time when they say, Now's not the time for the temple to be built. God will stir them. It's not for us to go out and try to find them. It's for us to obey God and serve Him with our whole heart and turn to Him so that He can bless us. And then they will look and say, Oh, that's where God is working. Wouldn't it be incredible if we could be what we're supposed to be and God would choose us? To bring his people to because they see the blessing and the honor that he bestows upon those who have been faithful. And they'll say, that's where I want to be. Let me ask you this. Is this village here at the point where people would say, man, that's where I want to be. They don't gossip. They don't stab each other in the back. They don't judge each other and condemn each other. They're full of love and mercy and peace and happiness and joy. And 
They trust and help and serve one another. That's where I want to be. Maybe we better move on here. We have some changing to do. We need to become that which people would want to be a part of. And who has brought up these? Behold, I was left alone. These, where had they been? God is going to start gathering. And where they gather to, the people are going to say, well, where did all these people come from? We're going to read about that probably next week. Then shall you say in your heart, oh, let's see, let's, uh, verse 22 I want. Thus says the eternal God, behold, I will lift up my hand to the Gentiles and set up my standard to the people. And they shall bring your sons in their arms and your daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders. Didn't the church spread to the Gentile lands? People are going to come from all over the world, north, south, east, and west. And kings shall be your nursing fathers, and their queens your nursing mothers. They shall bow down to you with their face toward the earth, and lick up the dust of your feet. And you shall know that I am the Eternal, for they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. If you will do what I say, and be what you ought to be, when I bless you, people are going to say, Oh, you are a blessing from God to me. Wouldn't that be wonderful if people could come to us and say, Oh, you are such a blessing to me. What an honor that would be. That's what God wants us to be. That's what He says will happen. Now let's stand up and become the kind of people that people would want to come to. Let's be a spiritual magnet to people. Not go out and try to get people to join us. Not go try to steal sheep from other shepherds. Just live godly and be like God. And then people who respond to God will come to us and say, Ah, oh, where have you been? Verse 24, Shall the prey be taken from the mighty, or the lawful captive delivered? But thus says the Eternal, Even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. For I will contend with him that contends with you, and I will save your children. So God is going to draw the faithful whom he called from around the world, and he's going to save the children of the church. He's not necessarily talking about us as humans and our physical children. Now, he will, perhaps, in the millennium. And maybe some of them will be called here at the end who have no interest at this time. He's not working with our children as a generation. He's working with the older ones. He's calling a few of our children. But here he's talking in a, big, in a bigger picture, a bigger context. The children of the church, the ones he called. And then he's going to gather the faithful from there. And he will save them from this world. And I will feed them that oppress you with their own flesh. Those in government circles, 
those who have taken or laid the Babylonian system on us are going to be destroyed before us. And they shall be drunk with their own blood, as with sweet wine. And all flesh shall know that I, the Eternal, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. The end-time work of preaching the gospel around the world as a witness is ahead of us. Prior to that, God is going to gather a faithful remnant to set on a hill in Zion as a light to the world in the true Jerusalem in Zion. And then, when that is defiled, some years later, and I won't take the time to go to all those scriptures, the abomination will be set, and then a witness against the world is going to start, and by the time it is finished in the streets of the true Jerusalem, when the two witnesses die and they think they've won, Christ is going to appear in all His glory. And every eye is going to say, Oh boy, where we sold a bill of goods. Look who's coming now. The false Messiah was not it. But they're not all going to repent. They're going to know who the mighty one of Jacob is, the living God. But it's going to take the seven last plagues and the death of almost everyone on earth save maybe a hundred million, as Daniel seems to indicate, before they will truly begin to repent and turn to God. They'll know who He is. But like Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus and others of the past, Pharaoh, yeah, that's God, all right. Your God is a great God. But they're not ready to repent. And when all hell breaks loose on this earth, and most of them die, those who are left are going to say, okay, I think we'll go up to Jerusalem to keep the feast. And when they come up in the great white throne judgment, they're going to say, boy, that was pretty bad what we just went through. wonder who could tell me better. See what's coming down. I want to be part of this. I want you to be part of this. I don't want us to fail. I don't want us to give up. I don't want to get us, us to get sidetracked. There's a huge work ahead to be done. So let us put God first and help Him show the world that He is the living God of glory and honor. We'll stop there for today.